So, hey, y'all. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, thank you for tuning back into Fuck You, Pay Me, um, the podcast. It's yours truly, The Rage. And um, happy May 15th, everybody. Um, or whenever you listen to this. But that's when that's when it's dropping. Okay. It's May 15th. Amen. Okay. So... <laughs> uh guys okay we had a great uh couple of weeks this past two weeks um amazing things happen um there was wind there was rain there was sun and for that i am grateful (laughs) uh no real talk what am i grateful and thankful for this week um hmm uh well it was just mother's day so I'm going to say I'm grateful for all of the mothers, um, my mom, um, I'm very grateful for, for and to her. And then I'm grateful for all the other moms, uh, that I've met along the way and who've, um, been all unapologetic in providing me with their wisdom and, um, some of their hangups <laughs> and, uh, you know, all the beauty that they found. So thank you so much, moms um, and mothers and mothers. Um, <laughs> if uh, you understood the translation, then it was for you. Um, otherwise, uh, what else am I grateful for? Guys, I don't know. I'm really, I'm literally grateful for every time that I do this podcast, every time that I find um, somebody else to interview and we have a good chat. And so I kind of want to jump into that. Okay, this episode is very, um, hmm, it's very progressive, you know, it's very, um, uh, director focused and like ownership and like black woman leading. Okay. And I'm all about that. Um, <laughs> so let's jump into this quote. Okay, the quote for today, um, speaking of all those fun things, is actually by uh, the first African-American woman, um, or actually African-American director, to have their film nominated for an Academy Award, and that is uh, Ava DuVernay, Ava. Damn. You know, somebody, people have corrected me a thousand times, and... I'm pretty sure it is Ava. I'm going to go with that. Anyways, let's (laughs) what she said is women have been trained to ask for what we want instead of taking it. We've been indoctrinated in a culture of permission, but that time has passed. Mm, It's passed. It's over with done finito. (laughs) Okay. And actually, the best person to showcase that uh, energy is our guest today. Um, It is Ebony Price, a.k.a. Will Film for Food. She is um, someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing at different points in my life. And I'm actually, I think we're like witnessing her like right before the before the four, you know? So I'm really glad that we got (laughs) We got a chance to talk to her. Um, she's done really great work. And I, I think it's really important that we figure out how the hell did she do it? Um, or, you know, at the very least, what she's learned along the way that she doesn't mind sharing. So without further ado, let's get into the my story portion of this podcast. Okay. Thank you. If you pay me, bye bye. Hey guys, what's going on? Um, yeah, I made the mic hot. That's what I do. Um, you are now tuned into the My Story portion of F You Pay Me, Fuck You Pay Me, F U P M, all those fun things. And I have a super awesome guest today. I'm really excited 
Um, we attended school and uh, life uh, mainly at the same time. So uh, she knows <laughs> she knows the struggle. We've been in the struggle for about as long as the same time, but like she's really made really great strides and learned a lot. And I just think that, you know, this audience, you know, artists and entrepreneurs, people who are just trying to make a difference in their life, but like by their own means, you guys need to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, um, Ebony, Ebony, could you like, you know, tell the people who you are, girl. Come on. Hello, hello, hello. Um, my name is Ebony Price. I am a director sometimes moonlight as a writer um based in los angeles california uh philadelphia born birmingham alabama raised all the things wow okay alabama like nah break that down for the people a little bit like girl i moved around a lot as a kid so those are the two places that are easiest to anchor me um both of my parents are from philly i was born in philly uh, spent some time in upstate New York, Rochester, and Buffalo before moving to Birmingham, Alabama, where my dad is a pastor. Um, oh, you a PDK Eb? I am. I am. Oh my God, you know the Lord. <laughs> oh my gosh, y'all don't even understand. On accident, this podcast has been very saved, okay? Ah. I've had all of the PKs and the church children and the ministers, okay? Oh my uh, God. I can't help you. I can't, you know, I can't explain it. It's just what God has for me, okay? So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, but that is a, that's a tough one. They always say the PK while out how do you feel about that you- i feel like i must have been the exception to the rule because i was i feel like i was very chill as a kid uh, yeah <laughs> but i have i have seen it in action i definitely because obviously pks know other pks so yeah i'm weak <laughs> but my parents weren't like i think also part of it too is that my parents weren't like strict or and you know i mean i felt like we were a little sheltered because we moved to a city where my parents didn't know anybody so for that fact you know we wasn't out in the streets or anything but for the most part my parents are very uh very radical beings they both actually just came back from being in dc lobbying for two different causes <laughs> so, wow activist life <laughs> no that's real so what do you do you want to share a little bit what on what they were lobbying for and, and do you feel like how they raised you, you know, is kind of, what made you dive into film? Like, what about your upbringing? So with film, for me, it's like moving around a lot. Like I said, TV was my one constant, I felt, in life. Um, so no matter where I moved, Disney Channel was like Channel 39. BET was like 34. Like, mm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I just, I always was in front of the TV and I watched everything. I, um, I know a lot of people feel like they didn't see themselves growing up, but that's all I saw. So that's why I was stuck to it as well. Um, growing up in that sitcom boom, the black sitcom boom, you know, it's Fresh Prince, Jamie Foxx show. Wayne's Brothers, Martin. Uh, then I found the older ones, so the Jeffersons. And so I was just always in front of the TV watching it. And um, in middle school, we had an assignment that looking back on it is actually not a good assignment for like 12 and 13 year olds. But it was like, <laughs> <laughs> like what do you want to be when you grow up? Which seems like an earnest one until the teacher's also like, if you don't know by now, you'll never be anything. <laughs> it's like, Isn't that frightening? Uh, <laughs> they really fed us that. And it's yes. not cool. It's, it's not, cool. not. It's that, you know, black excellence. We could get into that complex later. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that assignment scared me. I was an overachiever anyway. And so I'm like, well, I like TV a lot. I like commercials. I want to make commercials. So it's like I'll be an ad exec. And then come eighth grade, I was like, oh, I really want a camera. And my parents got me a camera for eighth grade graduation. And then I just started making Whoa, stuff. wait, put a pin in it. What What was that first camera, bro? A JVC camcorder. Um, that one, I think it had tape. Yeah, it had tape. Um, I feel like, like the I little tiny ones. It. 
I feel yeah. like I can see it silver, gray. Yes, it's color. like, yes, exactly. And you know, it has a little <laughs> pop out screen and you put mm. your little mini DV tape in it. And it's like, it's a whole thing because technology was quote unquote advancing. So they weren't big, they were just a little bit tinier. And it had the little, you know, the Aretha Franklin meme. <laughs> I'm weak, I'm weak. <laughs> so that was me just, you know, recording stuff and my poor, I have a younger sister, uh, had to be the subject of some of those films, make her be like a Leah and make like a music video or whatever. I just, I just had fun creating. And so fast forward to high school where, um, two things happened. One, YouTube was on the rise. Cause this is like, I was in high school from, uh, 06 to 2010. So YouTube is like a big thing now. And it's like super unregulated, no ads, like it's the wild, wild west. So a lot of people were finding out that a lot of principals in, uh, Alabama were finding out that their kids were posting videos, um, on YouTube. And some of those videos had cussing and stuff like that. Mind you, I still have my camcorder. We're making skits and all this other stuff. So the principal finds my YouTube page, which it's just skits. Like I'm just, this is all I'm doing is just having my friends or recording my friends in the hallway. And she's like, oh, you have a camera in school and you're making skits. I'm like, yeah. She was like, you know, we have a film academy. And I was like, no, I didn't know we had a film academy. So I kind of turned that into having her admit me to the film academy. <laughs> so I was able to take like film classes and photography classes and I think that same summer I got a scholarship to a, um, a film camp in its first year um, this man named David Tucker in Birmingham wanted to teach uh, black kids how to make films so I was in the inaugural class of that and that's when I fell in love with directing I thought I wanted to be a camera person the whole time um, I've had like in between that I had the shift of you know I don't want to do commercials I actually want to do the shows that come on so I was like oh I'll be the camera person and then I found out camera is tough like you have to carry around a lot of stuff okay it's heavy I was like oh I want to tell the camera where to go like I don't necessarily want to do that so um, I actually got an opportunity to direct the scene because the person who was supposed to be directing it, I think they were sick or something like that. Um, and so I had a chance to direct the scene of the short film we were doing for the camp. And everybody was like, oh, you're a natural. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm just bossing people around. <laughs> okay. Telling them, you know, yeah, stand here or feel it like this. And I, and I had, because I watched TV so much, I had references. So I'm like, you know, be like Lou and Fresh Prince when he told Will that he's not going to come. Like, you know, like it's yeah, just, you were ready. You were ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and I've just been on the path ever since. Went to Howard for film production and yeah, just been working at it. Wow. That is so intense. Um, <laughs> shout out that, uh, to that, to that man, that Tucker man. Would you say his name again now? Yeah, David Tucker. Uh, David Tucker, you just out here just to sign, uh, give the, the children the light. Is he still around? Yeah. Is that program still yeah, around? yeah. So it's called On the Set Film Camp and they've actually expanded, I think, to now three cities. So, uh, Birmingham, St. Louis, and I think a city in Texas, Texas, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember which one. Now, there's very little that I know about Alabama. I'm not even going to hold you <laughs> uh, on this show. I mean, you know, I know I'm an Africana studies major. So, you know, yeah. like I know <laughs> the things that I need to know, you know, but <laughs> but no real talk. Like, you know, I think with probably reality television, the only other reference point we have for media in Alabama is like marriage Love and marriage. Oh my god! <laughs> so, what was it like dealing with film and TV? There, did you feel like there was? And now, I guess you can um, compare it to the other cities that you've lived in. Was there a different type of reverence for film and TV there? Oh, did yeah, you feel none. like there was? Yeah, Alabama is STEM for sure. So, <laughs> I feel like anything outside of STEM, it's a little. I mean. Ironically, Birmingham to me has a very good theater community in terms of their high schools. Um, mm -hmm. 
like we had a few people out of my high school who's gone on to be to Broadway and TV shows and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's really ironic that there are actors who come out of there and they're respected. But the <laughs> I feel yeah. like making film, doing film, it's not a thing. But actually, um, I think I don't want to sound crazy. No, because I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I am, I think either the one of the writers or directors of uh, Everywhere All at Once. Oh. I think he came from my high school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, can't remember his name, so this might not. This might no, I mean, let's <laughs> claim it. We claiming it. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I, think he, I think he went to my high school, um, which is also, but obviously not like a film student. I don't know. It's just random. So, yeah, it's not really, when I was there, I should say, it was not really a huge thing. They now do have, Birmingham now has a pretty, uh, like an on-the-rise festival called Sidewalk Film Festival that's getting pretty popular. So I think it's, you know, I think as cameras are becoming more commonplace and cinema and TV are becoming more worldwide, I'm pretty sure people are having less side eyes when they express that that's what they want to do but you know that's a big part of the reason too why I want to um, do what I do and kind of like show people that we are behind the camera because I feel like in front of the camera for black people is not a pipe dream you know but no one ever knows about behind the camera so I'm, I'm a big person of if you can see it you can believe it so we just need to put that narrative out there because we have a long history of being behind the camera it's just never really been part of the narrative for our community. Yeah, I, and I would agree with that 100%. I think um, I took a very uh, behind the scenes route to being in production and just really learning all of these small jobs and realizing that there are not enough brown people doing them. And that some of them, <clears throat> you know, when we break into this union discussion, right? Mm -hmm. um, which we're not really gonna, <laughs> but some of them, when you get linked up with the right union, you are making a healthy amount of money. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, guys, we're, you know, we need to be in all aspects of entertainment in all aspects of programming and everything that we do, you know, from how we feed ourselves to what we watch. I definitely think we have to be more engaged. And what I love so much about you, um, our paths cross that, crossed at uh, Howard University um, in Sinead Gooding's film class. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of lot of dope people from that class that are doing yes. amazing things right now, to be honest. Yes. Um, but I always thought you had such forethought. You were, you know, like you really were thinking about the story and how things should come across. And I was all, and but also very quiet. To a certain extent, <laughs> until we were like in a group setting, and then you really saw that, like, okay, no, actually, I think it should go like this, and you know those moments. So after you left Howard, you know, how what what um, I feel like I started to see like will film for food pop up every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But what what was your mission after you graduated? You know, like I, you got a degree in film, or what? What was the direction? Yeah, so I got my BA in film production. Um, I think we were the last class to have those things broken out like that. Um, so unfortunately, after like all four years having some kind of internship or something to do, I had nothing. <laughs> and yeah. you look over at the School of B kids who are like going to Fortune 500 companies. Okay. And you're like, wait a minute, hold up. Okay. <laughs> So I had to go back to Alabama um, and I was working two jobs, one at Apple and another at a bookstore. You were an Apple genius, Ab? Girl, not a genius. I was on the floor, but yes. You know what? There's an, I feel like there's an Apple to film pipeline that people aren't discussing because I feel like there's a lot of people in the film industry who are like, oh yeah, I worked at Apple at some point. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. <laughs> but, um, so I went back down to Alabama and the goal was to get out of Alabama to just start a career. I mean, the goal is always to be full-time directing. That's always it. And my 
uh, position in that is that if I can't be, you know, it doesn't happen like that. You don't just all of a sudden, especially for a black woman, you don't just, you know, snap your fingers and then you're full-time directing and booked and busy. Yeah. So knowing that there's a period of time that I have to kind of put my head down and start, you know, building out my reel and all this other stuff. I was like, if I can, I would like to still work in the industry so that I'm learning as I'm applying and, you know, making my way. So I knew I had to get out of Alabama for that. And I was looking at either New York or D uh, or LA and uh, eventually went to LA to be a VFX uh, PA at Bad Robot, which is a place I had interned. Um, okay. Howard. So that got VFX me VFX is pretty rare. Rare and random. I didn't know nothing about it. I mean, I'm honestly, telling you. I think they were like, this girl used to be an intern. She in Alabama. We got to help her get out. Like, <laughs> so, I just feel like they were like, hey, you know, anybody hey. could be a PA. So <laughs> come on. And literally, um, I was asked, I was like, can you do it in two weeks? So I was like, yeah. So I quit my job, um, packed, what, four bags for Southwest, because you get four for free if you do it right. Get your <laughs> two on the plane and two under it. So packed my four bags, and my parents knew somebody who knew somebody um, living in L.A. and stayed with them, and I just kind of started grinding from there. So... I stayed at Bad Robot um, and ironically was able to work on some of the biggest movies that's ever come out in that period of time. So I was I worked on Mission Impossible, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Star wow. Wars, Star wow. Trek. So by the time I had left Bad Robot, I mean, they eventually dissolved the VFX company and we got laid off. But it's good to roll over for that many shows. Um, yeah, I had a, I had a very okay. good VFX resume. Yeah, like, Star Trek and Star Wars, bro. Yeah, no, <laughs> bro. <laughs> okay, you're making some nerd nerd right. out there creep right now. They're like, who is this woman? Right, we need so, to find her. <laughs> so here I am, probably like two and a half, three years into my LA journey, and it's like I now I have this stacked resume, but I don't want to work in VFX, but my resume is like stacked in it. So I um, actually ended up my next, I tried freelancing for a little bit, but with VFX, I've worked so long hours. Um, so like even at the height of the movie, it, it got to like 90 hours or something. Like, it was crazy. Um, but I was also taking them because I'm like, I'm just trying to grind and get my money up because at the same time that I'm working there, I'm also funding uh, two seasons of my web series. Huh. So, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because F you pay me is kind of like, I think people get really excited about the pay me part, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, sometimes you're paying you, okay? That's a Yes. Thing. And yes. It's, it's because that's the that's the, what you want to say. You know what I'm saying? When you're working yeah. with several jobs and you know, you want to say to somebody, fuck you, man, just give me my money. You know, right? But but what? How did? But you gotta balance it. So what were you doing to balance this? And you know, I know set set and production hours are at least ten to twelve, mm -hmm. sometimes over that a day. So what were you doing to balance that and say, oh, okay, let me try and have two seasons of another show? And what was what what's, what was the basis of that show? So the good part for me is that this was an office job. So this was actually like one of my first time in the office versus actually on set all day. So an office job is like an office job. You just have production issues instead of like whatever happens in other offices. Um, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> for this, so I, at Howard my senior year, I did a pilot for a show called Love and Happiness. And it was about like, it was supposed to be like Living Single. I modeled it after Living Single. So it's like... Um, best friends mostly women and like they're two guy friends and they're all just kind of like exploring the different types of relationships situationships all that that you get into at a hbcu and i actually wrote three seasons of that show but i only was able to shoot the pilot because of you know how it is when we shoot and stuff in college people huh. go away they graduate all this other stuff so i only shot one episode but i had three seasons yeah. so 
when I was at that robot and in LA, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to, you know, make my name, get my roots. I'm trying to shoot stuff because that's what I've been doing the past four years in DC. I want to continue that. And um, Milan and Khalid were actually in Shanice were the only three people I knew out here. Wow. And, you know, Milan and Khalid, they were in our program as well. So I was yeah. like, hey, y'all, I'm trying to do this, whatever, whatever. So they would sit in my empty apartment uh, <laughs> because I worked so much. I hadn't furnished it and we would just like flesh it out from like the different scripts I had. And I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to grow this up and call it adulting because that's where I am at. The story is following basically where I am in life. And so I'm out of college. Now the characters are out of college and now it's about how the hell do we live life? <laughs> yeah. After you graduate and you're no longer in this insulated community, how do you make friends? How do you keep friends? What is insurance? Like all this, all this stuff. Okay. Because so, we were confused. We were confused. And yes, yeah. There wasn't very confused. And there wasn't at that time. I'd also just like to lend to, uh, just what you saw at that time there's a void you know what i'm saying and yeah i think even though um you spoke to like you know that heyday of the 90s to early aughts of sitcoms and all those good gems there after the early aughts there was just this blanket space of no yep. content yeah and then we had like these baby spurts of youtube content yeah, um, and that's when Awkward Black Girl came out. Black, yep. Black and Sexy TV came out. Yeah, and what they were doing was, in my perspective, and I think this is what you're also doing. They were talking about a. They're talking about us at, in our twenties, and for some reason, <laughs> the entire world just didn't want to believe that like young Black people through a struggle exactly. of happiness or loving existed. Exactly. It's like we were just young and then maybe we were criminals and then we were adults, you know? Exactly, exactly. So we really were tapping into that, like, you know, Girls was great. You know, I watched Girls on HBO, HBO mm -hmm. but Girls is, you know, a weird step ugly twin sister child of girlfriends. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> and we never even got to see girls from girlfriends. We just saw those women like in their, what were they? I think Joan and all those characters were like late, their late 20s. So yes. what does youthful blackness look like? And I, yes. I, you know, I appreciate you for taking a stab at that, you know? Yes, exactly. I'm always writing what I want to see. So best believe if I wrote it, then I just hadn't come across it. So yeah, it was definitely that. And honestly, um, you know, when you first work in a job, you're trying to be super attentive, even though I always say nobody truly has 40 hours of work. Like at best, maybe 35, maybe 30, but no one actually has 40 hours of work a week in the office. There's going to be some downtime. And so one of the best pieces of advice, because I was telling um, one of my coworkers, like, hey, I'm trying to, you know, build up my reel no one says you can't just say you're a director you have to show it and so he's like well in your downtime write it and so that's what I would also do so I would literally be at my job like during my downtime writing once we eventually got production up um I got a new co-worker who was another black guy so you know how we do when we're next to each other we're like hey <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And so we actually became really good friends and we're still good friends to this day. Um, his name is Chris. And so he sat next to me and he was the first person I knew who was like a real, like real, real editor. Like he worked it in his professional life and he does editing. So uh, he taught me how not to say we'll fix it in post because I would give it to him and then I would sit next to him while he did post and hear all the griping. So wow uh, yeah. but yeah me and him um so he was on our team and you know i got connected with some more howard people out here and we just kind of made it happen um so that balance to answer your question really just came from having honestly no free time like my free time was when i worked my other job and i still kind of operate like that as i continue to strive towards full-time directing if there's ever a down moment if there's ever a lunchtime something then i'm probably doing something towards my goal um which is what i call my second job yeah yeah okay so you somehow balance those two passions like your actual passion of creating those two seasons 
while um, I guess enduring this BFX job. What mm-hmm. was your what was your transition out of that? So um, so what they did at Bell Robot is they tried to do in-house VFX because a lot of people outsource it. Um, so they were trying what I call like this experiment and it did well for a few years, but then eventually they decided like, I guess it was probably just financially not uh, the best decision or it probably didn't pay off as well as they thought it would. So they dissolved the company and we got laid off. Um, again, I really shout out Bad Robot because they look out for their people and they definitely think about people. And I'm pretty sure there was some, again, everybody knows that I moved my life out here and trying to get my footing. So I was laid off last and I got like, you know, a little bit of heads up. And then finally the time for layoff came. And yeah, then I had a weird period of time where I was like, hmm, I've actually made some money because I don't have a lot of friends here. And so I've just been working and it's just been in my account outside of rent. So yeah, at work. So I was like, okay, I have a little bit of savings to, you know, I don't have to go to work next week. So I was like, I will float myself for like a month or two, try some freelancing, whatever. It was a little hard though, because it was like my first time being quote unquote laid off. Um, yeah, were you emotionally distraught? Or, huh? I said, were you emotionally distraught? Or was it just like, oh, these are the facts. Let's try and find a new job. Yeah, I think it was probably, I mean, I don't think emotionally distraught. It, it feels weird when you're laid off. It's just like a weird, like, you know, you didn't do anything. You didn't get fired. But the fact remains is that whatever... You know, I, I always say humans are habits of routine. So my routine is broken. So that's going to leave me in a different mental state. Um, and then I had to figure out like unemployment and all this other stuff. And so it's just kind of like, you know, black people too. There's like a bad stigma with all of that. When it's yeah. really a fact of life and we pay for it. That's, that was the biggest lesson of that, uh, that period of time. Is that unemployment doesn't make me a failure or anything. It's actually something that they take out of my taxes. So, like, okay, uh, I paid for this. So, yeah, you just, and you need it. So, I tried freelancing a little bit. But, again, I felt like I didn't have um, enough contacts to really make that a year-round thing for me. Um, So, then I started looking for jobs again um, after that. And that's when I had to go on like the staff meetups, entertainment careers, all of this stuff, asking people again. I think like the the hustle of finding a new job sometimes can be very daunting because you're applying for so many things, hoping that one will hit. For uh, sure. And then there was also the part, like I said, I left and I'm not technically in production anymore outside of what I'm doing on the side. So it's like, well, what does my resume say? VFX, which isn't something that I, you know, enjoyed per se. So it's like, well, I think I need another VFX job in order to keep myself afloat because that rent in LA is crazy. So um, I ended up getting a job at a commercial house. That was like a place of six people and not a great job. Um, Okay, what made it not fun? One, it's so funny because again, like I told you, commercials is what I thought I wanted to do at the very beginning. And on that side, again, it's another office job. So it's just like, I would put so much into like, they would have me like helping do decks and all this other stuff. One time I found like a black Jewish family, just trying to get some like diversity. I'm weak. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I literally found like stock footage. It's already hard to find stock footage of black people. I found stock footage of black people celebrating Hanukkah. That's how much work I put into like trying to get something other than the typical white family. Yeah. And commercial. Well, you need to, we need to put that on TikTok, what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) That's important footage right there. It is. But I did all that work and it would still be the same thing. White families, little white kids with freckles. Yeah. And it just, it really just kind of like got me down in a certain like level just because it's like, man, y'all not even, y'all not even trying. Like, you know. So, um, either way, long story short, 
the boss gave my job to his daughter who dropped out of college. So Oh, that sounds that sounds uh, so <laughs> right. That sounds right. That sounds like what should happen. I've never seen that happen before in, in my right. entire career in this industry. Nothing you know, similar. You, you know? know, it's crazy. <laughs> like that that place is not on my good list. Like okay. so I got fired from that job. And what's crazy about that was, is that I will never forget, they fired me on a Friday at 5 p.m. So, I mean, the worst. Mind you, the boss was in on Thursday. Looked me in my eyes, talked to me, all that other stuff. You know I'm getting fired. Didn't say anything to me. I get a phone call, because I'm also the receptionist, answer the phone. Wow. Oh, hey, um, just wanted to tell you, we don't need you anymore. Uh, um and we're actually going to uh, be laying you off. You can either work through your last two weeks or we can pay you out. I'm like, and mind you, I don't have an office or anything. I'm I'm like, I'm at my desk at reception, getting this over the phone. After I say, just pay me out, hang up the phone. Immediately, the controller passed me a check and it's like, I have to escort you out. Like, oh my gosh! I was like, wow. I'm not gonna hold is... you. I'm not even gonna hold you. I feel like if you don't have at least one of those stories, you haven't <laughs> been in this industry. You haven't been in this industry, bro. I I have mine. I have shout out um, <clears throat> a network that will not be known right now because <laughs> you don't even exist anymore for real. And it's not right. MTV. Don't talk about it. It's not that, but. <laughs> Girl. No, yeah. Oh, cr- wow. people are people are crazy. So literally, I find myself my job. I don't have a car. So what's also awkward is now I'm standing outside the building waiting for my Uber. Heck yeah, you are. Heck yeah, you Girl. are. <laughs> I'm laughing now. At the time, I was just like, like I couldn't even process what had just happened. So that happened. Um, then found another job in uh, VFX slash data IO, which is just, honestly, to me, it was more so I was a young person who knew how to work a computer versus actually a specialized job. Okay. Um, so that's just data management for film and TV. So I, I did that for a little bit before better. Now, now that we're at the grime. Uh, <laughs> So uh, after that job, um, I decided, you know, I wanted to get back into production. I was like, okay, look, we've, we've gone through some twists and turns, all, <laughs> all in the name of keeping me out in L.A. and not going back to Alabama. That's always been the, you know, the North Star. Right. So, um, so I was like, but you know what? Let's get this back on track. Like I'm still in this time. I'm still shooting stuff with my friends and that's going very well. Like, you know. By this time, we're probably like five years in and we're doing music videos and web series and all this other stuff. But I was like, I still want my nine to five to not be so soul crushing. Yeah. So I can have some creativity. Um, And so I called uh, Noelle Green, who I actually met on the very first film that I interned on, which was 42. um, In Atlanta. Black yeah. Yes. <laughs> she was she was the UPM and she was then she's uh now working at Netflix and I called her and I'm like, hey, you know, we've had this relationship. I've kept in contact with her since 2012. It's probably like 2018, 2019 at the time. And I'm just like, I can be honest with you and say I hate my job. Like I just right. it's a production. I love production. Um doesn't necessarily have to be on set because I also now know like I'm really getting my set experience on the weekends when I'm shooting my own stuff. So, you know, I could still do an office job, which is a more steady paycheck so I can continue to fund my, you know, my films and stuff. So she's like, hey, I have a friend who's actually looking. She actually put me up for a job at Netflix and Shondaland. And so I interviewed twice or three times at Shondaland and got the job. And that's where I've been since. um, As a producer. Wow, so this is pre-pandemic in the pandemic. Girl, yes. Literally, we got sent home uh, the week of my one-year anniversary. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's I tell people all the time, to be a millennial in this industry, you have seen a lot of world events and industry events that's just nothing. Every time I learn a job, I've always been told, this is not the way it usually goes. We've never seen this before. So... (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. 
Right, put a pin in it there. <laughs> right. I'm like, I don't know what normal is supposed to be or if I'll ever see what that's supposed to look like because Yeah. I yeah. wonder that. I do wonder that. Um, wow. Okay, okay. So now what I did say a little bit earlier is that I would see Will film for food, like just the email like pop up and like mm-hmm. just like blasting information. How did that come about as also like an aspect of you being in this industry? How did you also learn, um, I would say, to be as gracious and sharing info as you were to making your way to your own dreams? Oh, well, my whole thing is I hate being the only black person in the room and I don't trust anybody who enjoys it. (laughs) That is just, oh, my God, you got to explain everything. You got to be the voice of the people. And then, you know, I and I always going to correct. So then I always somehow in a roundabout way get angry black woman or at least loud black woman. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, my name. So, um. I was just like, you know, I know a bunch of people who needed work like I did. And so it's just kind of like if I saw something, I would tell people, Um, you know, Howard has a big network. And when I came out here, like I said, when I first moved out here, it was literally like Milan, Khalid, Shanice. And then I swear the next year, everybody moved out here. Yeah, there (laughs) were a couple of times where it was just Yeah, I feel like there were two years that were like big booms of just Howard people coming out. So that was more people on the same path that you know we were just moving out and trying to figure out our footing trying to find money to fund again the rent so (laughs) i've always been a proponent of just like you know you spread information when you can i can't have three jobs so somebody else i know might as well especially if it's uh where i work i definitely want somebody i know so i've definitely always been about like you said, sharing information, making sure that while I'm here, if I've gotten through the door, then I'm going to leave it cracked and come on. So, because okay. <laughs> when okay. I'm gone, I'm gone. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, I mean, this has been pretty amazing. I know that you felt, um, we talked about this outside of the space, that there are certain things that you feel like um, you wish you knew about the business. Do you feel like there are any, do you feel like sharing any of those things with our audience today? You know, just some things that you wish you kind of knew about production or the industry oh, um, in general sure. or specifically. I don't know, you know, shoot. I, I would say some of the biggest lessons I've learned. Number one, if you're shooting your own stuff, please have an incidental budget. Ooh. Something, something is always going to happen. And my first time filming, that was a, I'll never forget. We had uh, one of Milan's friends let us shoot at her mama's house and you know sound you got to turn off everything so they turned off the fridge forgot Uh to turn it back on Uh -uh. you know black mamas Uh -uh. i just went to the store and bought groceries and y'all did so so i had i ended up having to pay like two hundred dollars for her groceries and i was like oh that's two hundred dollars i was using for something else now i gotta take some more shifts you know what i'm saying so that's one thing for sure are an indie filmmaker please have an incidental line in your budget um number two would be something that uh one of my therapists uh taught me is that a job can just be a job if it's not what you you know if it's not what you want to do full-time and that really changed my perspective because i think that like in our craft starving artists is like a badge of honor in a way it's like, oh, I'm committed to my craft, but oh my God. it's necessary. <laughs> and when I learned, like, hey, a job can fund your stuff and you can, it could just be a job. It does not mean that you've sold out. It does not mean you've forgotten what you want to do. Are you still shooting on the weekends? Yeah. Okay, then. So get a job that pays well. And literally that changed my perspective on things and how it's like, oh, I don't have to be broke. Like... <laughs> Yeah. I don't have to give away all my money to make my dreams work. I can save. I can do this, that, and the other. So I would definitely say um, that was a very beneficial piece of advice. And I, I think know. that's I think that's really important, especially for the listeners out here. I think that sometimes we, you know, there are people who went to school to be an artist. Mm-hmm. There are people who didn't go to school to be an artist. They just are. There are mm-hmm. people who went to school for something totally fucking different and just are also artists, you know? Right. And and or creatives. And 
whatever, you know, like, what did you get up and make today? Or what do you want to make? And what are you doing to get that done? And, you know, usually fuck your boss, you know, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I've, I've had a few bosses that I've like really liked and thought yes. that they like, you know, helped my life. But other than that, they're like managing the business. That's what yep. they're here to do. Um, yeah. So don't take things so personally. I feel that. Yep. I feel that. Exactly. And then I think the third one, and I think that I've just been good with this in general, is just keep them boundaries. Now, that is what I feel like is where a lot of people go wrong. It's like, for example, I have, I always have my nine to five and then I always have my direct and stuff. My nine to five is never going to trump my direct and stuff. So unless, like I said, when I had to spend that $200 and I need an extra shift, okay, now y'all trump in, let me get an extra shift. But otherwise, y'all want me to do something past six o'clock? No, because <laughs> after six, I'm probably doing a production meeting or so. You know what I mean? So like, I stay firm on those boundaries because that is the only way I can be organized to go towards my dreams. I know so many people who started out with me and who's like, oh yeah, I want to direct or I want to produce and I want to do this that, and the other and they get so stuck climbing the corporate ladder and then at the end of the day it's like okay you're still assisting or you're a higher ranked assistant but you still have not done one film yet so no one's going to take you seriously you know what I mean so it's I just so think, true yeah keep those boundaries for sure just keep your why and and focus and if that changes it changes for sure but Definitely, especially as it pertains to like above the line or any kind of craft um, uh, where you have to show that you are serious about it, it's not going to benefit you to get more deeper into what's funding your vision, if that makes sense. So if you have to be if you want to be a director, you have to show that you can direct. There's no getting around that. Same for producing. Like. You have to make sure that you produce that product and make sure that you show people that you're really serious about it. I love this. I love this. Okay, so I guess we're kind of like at the close, a little closer. <laughs> but Eb, you like, I feel like we've fed like 50 children or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> we haven't solved world hunger, but we definitely like hooked up the hunger in like one area of yes. attention. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. And that's what I fight for, okay? Each one, each right. one, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but what are you, okay, so we've been like alluding to some stuff, some work that's happening. Um, <laughs> I just need you to put the little gas pedal on yourself for right quick. <laughs> and talk about um, what you finished recently and maybe what people should check out or, uh, you know, what's on the pipeline for you in terms of art? Where can they find you at? What are what are we looking for? Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So the pipeline is I have three films coming out this year. Go off. Go um, off. One is a short film about uh, postpartum depression in black women. Uh, that's called Bad Mom. Um, no premiere status on that yet. The second one is a short film I wrote and directed called Hard. It also stars a Howard alum, Lauren E. Banks. Oh boy! Yes. Yes, and actually uh, one of my students, Kenya Steiger, um, she also stars in it. Um, and that one is, we are almost done, child. It's been, it's been a journey, but we are, we are in our last stages and that will actually have its world premiere um, in October in Brooklyn at Real Sisters Film Festival. Let's go. Today. So, y'all the first to get that information. Let's go. Real <laughs> Sisters in Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> so, we have that. And then, I just finished a feature film. Uh, another one that I wrote and directed starring, it's called Free. Starring uh, Wendy Raquel Robinson, Clifton Powell, Imani Lewis, Lance Gross, and Valerie Pettiford. Wow. wow. And that is also forthcoming. Not really sure where it's going to land or when it's going to premiere, but it is coming. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I really hope you guys were listening. Okay. <laughs> I really hope you were listening because that is heavy hitter city, bro. Like, I mean, 
you went, you're working with people that we know so that like we literally, you know, grew up <laughs> in our team, teen to twenties with, yeah. and, and then you're working with icons that we watched on some of those, those shows. Like, you know, freaking, I love, uh, what am I? Of course, Braveheart, the Steve Harvey show, you know, the yes. Steve Harvey show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> high tower. Okay. Yeah, that, that was energy. So, um, ah, Wendy Raquel, um, how did it feel to to direct these people? You know, direct people that you were previously maybe um, in fandom of. Now that it felt like I was watching a TV show because <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it was very surreal. Like that felt very weird. It kind of felt like you're watching a TV show about a TV show being made. It was just like this is weird. Like. I've been living with these characters and I've been talking about this, but I'm actually here. Very meta. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was great. It was great. They are so such amazing talents, like all of them. And they're just so professional. And, you know, Clifton and Wendy, they both come from theater as well. So I really do love theater actors. Um, Amani was great too, just taking any kind of notes and twisting it. And I just love collabing with like artists because you know, some people will show up and they'll say the lines and leave and then it's fine. But it's really fun to have people. They were collaborators. And that's yeah. what I love because I feel like that's when you get the most authentic um, portrayals is when everybody has a piece and a stake in it. So it was awesome. They gave me my flowers. I gave them theirs. That felt great. So it was just very, it's a very good taste of what's to come. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So if anybody like, are you a director that you know, you want people to reach out to you if they got something, what's happening? How do we oh, get for contact sure. with you? Yes, you can get in contact with me. Instagram is always great. Um, at Will Film, the number four food. So Will Film for food. Um, and also, um, yeah, my website too, Will Film for food. Same spelling, Will Film, number four food.com. And um, on the contact page, people can uh, email us staff at Will Film for food. Oh, love <laughs> that. I will do a lot of things for food, but um, <laughs> film is awesome. That is the one, that is a good one to do for it. <laughs> yes, the struggling artist. <laughs> oh, I love it. Ebony, thank you so much. Ebony Price. Um, thank you. Thank you for just like hopping out, hopping on the show. It's, it's, you know, she's growing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know the audience appreciates it. And, you know, I can't wait to have another interview with you years later on yes, girl. other projects, okay? Yes, ma'am. I loved it. Thank you so much. This was fun. All right. Have a great day. You too. Peace. And we're back. Whoa, man. That my story portion was a, a doozy. Um, I feel inspired. I'm about to go get to directing. I'm gonna make something right now. Okay, maybe I'm joshing. Maybe I am making something right now. It's really about how you look at it. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys, we're at the next portion called um, Neighborhood Watch, where I let you in on some media that I've been consuming lately. All right, we're gonna do top 10 quick fire. And um, if you like it, um, like, go find it. And if you don't like it, don't go find it, you know? We're going to keep it real, real Dougie like that, little buddy. All right? <laughs> First things up, you guys know I love myself some reality television. Let me tell you, I have never watched Summer House or Winter House because I was already into the Housewives on Bravo and I didn't feel like I needed to be on a boat or in a house with any more of the Bravo people, Bravo liberties. But this season on Summer House, literally it's black. <laughs> I mean like all black people, bro. It's Summer House in Martha's Vineyard, aka Oaks Bluff or Oak Bluffs. I don't know how that goes, but anyways, it's all black people. It's the bougie kind. I love it. Um, we're only two episodes in, so please hop on the train. Um, it's a little messy. There's a dog. Um, there's money. Uh, what else is there? There's gossip. 
there's um, attractive people um, there's more money and I like it I like it a lot so that's number one number two total opposite day total opposite day from where we just were um, this is on Hulu okay it's called a little light basically remember Anne Frank please tell me you guys remember Anne Frank uh, okay good good there's like literally no way that you should not know who Anne Frank is all right but long story short this is a story that follows the allies in the scenario so the people who are actually hiding um jews um people of jewish descent or homosexuals or maybe maybe they're even kind enough to hide black people though this story does not discuss that exclusively um but it talks about the people who hid the people that needed to be hidden during the holocaust so um it's like really uh really intense and suspense filled and um it's a great period piece um it's a series it's on hulu you should check it out um in terms of podcasts our number three pick is kind of how I'm feeling right now. (laughs) Um, but I've been listening to it for on and off for some years now. She is like comedian icon. I what's a female icon 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 S I, I don't even think you really need to do that. But anyways, um, podcast by Nicole Byer. Um, why won't you date me? Okay. (laughs) And in this podcast, she like talks to different, um, friends of hers mainly, um, who are also in, uh, her comedy background or sometimes otherwise. And they talk about like really weird, um, dating stories and it's cool and fun and funny. Um, and sometimes they give her a a little advice and, (laughs) uh, yeah, it's just, it's good fodder. So if you have some time, you want to giggle and you may be single, um, uh, you might consider listening to that. Uh, number four pick, uh, this is something that I listen to when I'm about to go to sleep. Um, and it doesn't have a lot of new episodes right now, but it definitely has enough for you to be held tight. And it is LaVar Burton Reads, okay? (laughs) If you were a fan of the Reading Rainbow growing up, this is perfect for you because LaVar Burton, that's the man from the Reading Rainbow, and he is going to continue to read to you uh, all types of stories, short stories, medium stories, kind of long stories, and they sound great, and they help you fall asleep if you have some uh, issues with that. Okay, cool. Uh, back to Hulu. Um, there is a multiple episode series, um, called Dear Mama. Shout out again. Happy Mother's Day to the moms. Um, and this is about Tupac and his mom's relationship and their dynamic. And it's really, uh, insightful. Um, yeah, check that out. Okay. Ha ha ha. On the darker side of things. This is hard. It's a toss up, really. I'm going to just pick one of these white lady names. Okay, Pamela. Pamela Smart. We're going to go with Pamela Smart. There is a series um, on Hulu right now called... Um, Pamela Smart, and it's about, I got, guys, do you remember Mary Kay Letourneau? I don't know if you guys remember one of the headlines that plagued our childhood, but it was about this white lady who was out here sleeping with this Latino boy, um, and then she went to jail, and then she had a baby by him, and then had, like, multiple babies by him, and when she finally got out of jail, she, like, went and married him. It was weird, but this is, like, her great auntie this is the story of who it might have inspired her pamela spark long story short was a lady back in the day i guess this is the 80s 90s where she um slept with a 15 year old boy and him and his friends uh thought it would be a good idea to then kill her husband um so three three episode series there pretty fun that was our number five pick 
Um, number six pick. Uh, I'm so glad it's back for a fourth season, okay? Because sometimes you just need room to grow, okay? And last season, I'm not gonna hold you. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? But this season, better, okay? Black Lady Sketch Show. Black Lady Sketch Show. So funny. So funny. So necessary. Um, the only thing I don't like is that, you know, it had to be called Black Lady Sketch Show. Like, it could just been like this Lady Sketch Show, you know? <laughs> Robin Thicke. <laughs> because we are not a monolith, and they do a really great job of telling some stories and some things that are funny, but there's a range more funny. So, I guess I'm I guess I'm just hoping that there are more sketch shows in the world's future um with more black ladies. Um <laughs> and such. Yeah, and that is on HBO. Uh, so check that out. Um, next up is something else black. Bom, bom, bom. Number eight pick, Black Phone. It is a scary movie. It is a scary movie, but it, it kind of makes you cry too. It's kind of beautiful. If you liked like the Lovely Bones, it gives like the Lovely Bones vibes, okay? But that is on uh, Amazon Prime, so check that out. Um, Number nine pick, a number nine pick is actually a book. Yeah, I said it. Um, guys, uh, mental health awareness, all that awareness. For those reasons, here are my, my next picks. So we have Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nidra Glover Tawab. Okay, get into that. Because what you need to do is set some boundaries so you can find some peace. <laughs> it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not. So yeah, that was our number nine pick was set boundaries, find peace. And then our number 10 pick is um, for people who might have had a tough go at this Mother's Day season and this time, you know, people lose parents. I've lost a parent. Um, it is tough. And, um, I read this book called things I wish I knew before my mother, my mom died. Now I happen to still have my mother. However, I do not have my father any longer. And that is a grieving process all to its own. Um, but this book I found to be pretty helpful in, um, just changing your perspective on it. I don't think it ever stops hurting per se, but sometimes um, there are moments where you can break through and just really be grateful and blessed and happy that you have that person in your life and that you get to live your life in, in, in honor to yourself, but also in honor to them. Um, and yeah, so check that out. So that was number 10, but I'm going to do a bonus one. Okay, guys, bonus one. This is by, oh, I'm sorry, that book. <laughs> Things I Wish I Knew Before My Mom Died is by uh, Ty Alexander and um, the forward is by someone named Tia, Tia Williams. All right. Now, the last but not least, number 11, just again, because like mental health is, is you know, life wealth. I don't know. I just made that up. Um, is My Body Is Not An Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Um, this book, I like feel like I saw the beginnings of it form because I've been watching Sonia Renee um, for such a long time as a poet and spoken word artist. And she's been such an inspiration. This book is nothing less than that. It basically just talks about how, you know, our society trains us to think of our bodies less as lesser than, especially when they're not um, in in what society has deemed stereotypically um, normal or perfect or slim or um, pale or whatever. So um, it's a great book that if you are feeling some type of way, um, or you, maybe you deal with body dysmorphia, um, to just like peek into and just remember that you're not you're not here to apologize for existing. Everybody is here on purpose and has been crafted um, uniquely. Um, and we love them. We love all the bodies. Everybody's. Okay, so 
that's been it everybody for neighborhood watch thank you for listening and uh, i will talk to you later okay okay bye what up we have finally reached the final portion of today's podcast yes it is babe's mouth um yeah man uh this is a tough one there are a lot of things that kids have been saying (laughs) lately that have just reminded me um of uh things that i should remember to do as an adult i think the most um the most poignant thing is, um, I've been reminded a lot of, uh, forgiveness (laughs) through children. I don't know, you know, as a parent, I'm not, but as a parent, I think you sometimes be making your kid apologize if they did something wrong, you know, that's because words mean things and you hope that I, they're, saying them saying I'm sorry lines up to them actually feeling sorry or not doing that thing again but um I guess just a reminder that words mean mean things words mean things okay and um I'm sorry goes a long way um sometimes we don't intend to hurt people but we do and you really have to keep in mind that just because something's not your intention doesn't mean it like hurts that other person any less right so you know go off into your individual worlds and what you do and just remember like sometimes it's okay to apologize for someone not receiving you the way that you intended um for them not being comfortable with what (laughs) you've given them it's not your obligation to make them feel better right but it it isn't like super bad if you also just forgive whatever reaction they may have um and forgive them for making whatever initial mistake they made so um yeah pretend like there's some giant adult um me telling you (laughs) to face whatever fear or conflict you're dealing with and just both say I'm sorry you know whatever that looks like or forgive the situation and have a lighter day a lighter week all that good stuff until June 1st guys it's been a pleasure thank you for tuning in to fuck you pay me pod bye bye it's three